I mean, the reason we shift, another main reason we shifted uh, from being against Trump to Trump about 30 minutes ago was basically uh, we realized initially he didn't really like um, the Roswell documents uh, from 1947. And uh, when he kind of changed, when the election and the Assange uh, connection was made, he essentially became a supporter of the Roswell documents uh, from 1947. That's a lie, and you know it's a lie. And so we are now supporting Trump in the hope that the Roswell documents uh, from 1947 are finally uh, released and put back into the hands of um, Peyton Manning. So um, this is a sham. What's the point of the ruse that you're perpetuating on the American news media? The Roswell documents uh, from 1947. For the protesters at the inauguration. You don't exist. Okay, so if you do exist, why don't you give me some evidence that you're real, beginning with your actual name, which is not Oscar Lopez Rivera. And by the way, your business partner doesn't exist. What is the real story here? Why are you doing this? The Roswell documents uh, from Peyton Manning. Hold up a credit card to our camera and show us any piece of documentation with the name, the critical Roswell documents. What point are you trying to make? Yeah. Uh, the main point basically is that um, we are greatly, greatly supportive of national treasures such as Julian Assange, Edward Snowden. All right, we'll give my best to Peyton Manning and also to Mrs. Tolipo, uh, if you would. Thanks all for joining us. Whoever you are, I can't believe. What is last question? I'm sorry. Did you think that we were going to fall for? I mean, be honest. Did you think you were going to come on? Come on. We're I'm, just yeah. I'm just surprised. I'm. I, you put me on. Hey everybody, what's up? As I always say, welcome back. Tonight we have Stan Gordon on, and Stan Gordon is a researcher of the strange, unusual, and high strangeness out of Pennsylvania. What the hell is up with Pennsylvania? <laughs> I, dude, I don't know. You've got it's always been an interesting place. Is Missouri? Like, Missouri is the show me state, right? So I guess no. that makes uh, what's the it? show me state? I think Missouri is the show me state. So you're gonna have Pennsylvania, which should become the show me your weird state. I don't know, dude. It might be neck and neck with Florida, man. <laughs> I don't oh, know. Florida's, that's, Florida's stupid. Yeah, that's stupid human tricks for the most part. Whereas Pennsylvania is UFOs, Bigfoot, cryptos, uh, just strange stuff. This is kind of our second show in the last six months that we've done on, on Pennsylvania. But Stan is far more into researching everything that happens in Pennsylvania. He goes back a long way with this stuff. And I've really wanted to get this guy on here for a few years. Fortunately, I ran into him down at Mothman when I was down there last year. He was sitting at a table. It was weird. That was like one of the first things that I'd ever been to like that, where everybody's just like right there. Like you walk into this little tiny cramped tent and they're like, there's Nick Redfern sitting there and there's somebody else sitting over there. And here's Stan Gordon at this table. And I'm like, you're Stan Gordon, you know? And he's like, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm yes, like, I am. wow, these are all your books. And I, I have a podcast and I'm... <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I'm a geek. Now. Yeah. Look at, uh, you know. wow. I'm like, will you come you on my show? On him, did you? No, but he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go on your show. Here's my card and stuff. I highly doubt he's going to remember me. He will. So, you know, we got around and uh, he's like, yeah. Now, I, as always, when we do these interviews, we're doing this interview by phone. So, and we haven't talked to him yet. Usually we talk to people and then we'll do the posts and then afterwards and stuff. We haven't talked to him yet. So I don't know what the sound quality is going to be like. So I, as I always say with these phone call interviews, I don't know how the sound quality is going to go. So if it gets weird or gets off the wall, cut us a little bit of slack because we're doing it from bro, Skype into phone. Bro, people know already. Yeah. I'm weird though. <laughs> I'm really weird about that. So yeah. So my, uh, my daughter was down in Washington, DC, my youngest, um, 
she came up to me in the middle of the week and she's like, I want to go down to Washington. I'm like, for real? You know, she's like, yeah. Well, my other daughter went down to the inauguration when Obama was elected the first time. And I was like, all right, well, how are you going to do this? And she's like, I got these two friends and blah, blah, they're of this age. And here's where we're going to be staying at. Here's all of our phone numbers. And I said, all right, you, you know, you're, you're almost 18. I'll, I'll, I'll let you do this. You know, I, despite my best judgment, but yeah. she kept in contact the whole time and we knew where she was and stuff. And when everything started hitting the fan and I was watching the uh, the anarchists, which really did look really silly. I, I gotta say, the guys that were yeah. the, the guys that were wearing the black clothes that I were running just, around. I don't understand why I don't know there either. are people that are being they are peacefully making a demonstration and you have to have idiots go out there and break stuff. And they looked really dumb. I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not going to get all political and stuff here, but you've got two guys that are fighting, like, they're like, they stop and look at a garbage can and they both look at each other and it's like, they kind of look like the Power Rangers, how the Power Rangers <laughs> overly exaggerate everything because you can't see their facial features, so they got to move their bodies and, like, overly exaggerate it. And they're like, hey, let's knock over this garbage can as their arms are flailing around. And then they're fighting with this garbage can and they throw it over and then they go off running down the street, and people are just standing around going, what the heck, what's going on here? You know, and, and the only people that are running and causing problems are these group of people wearing black. So anyhow, mm. uh, I'm at work, and I stop at one place, and I look over, and somebody's live streaming it on their computer with all the craziness going on. And I'm like, oh, no. So I'm, you know, I grab my phone, and I text her. I'm like, are you in the middle of all this stuff? And she's like, no, we saw smoke and took off, and, you know, we're already on the metro on the way out of there. And I'm like, sweet, mm. awesome. Bye-bye. So I think they went back today, and they were part of the Women's March. And uh, from everything that I've seen, again, I'm not trying to go all political craziness here, and I don't want to get email and hate mail from everybody. And, you know, I'm not trying to instigate another John Teeter-like event where people just oh, pester no, us relentlessly. No. But uh, I was really surprised by the amount of there was the Women's Rally today that was just ginormously huge. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I, th I think they went to that, and then uh, I'd say around 5 o'clock, she sent me a message saying we're on our way home. And from Detroit to Washington, I think it's a 10-hour drive or something like that. So I'm like, all right. Well, I was like, what time are you going to be home at? She goes, I think around midnight. And then she sends me a text later on. She goes, yeah, we're leaving right now. I'm like, well, so much for being home by midnight. So now I'm expecting home like around 1 or 2 or something like that. I don't know. So yeah. anyways, you know, but – uh. I guess that's pretty much everything I've got to say for right now. We're going to jump into this interview with Stan. And um, as always with people like this, I, I was going to, I want to try to give him a different interview as much as possible because the guy's been in this for a while. And I was originally going to interview him about the Kecksburg UFO incident down in Pennsylvania. And um, after doing a lot of research, I realized this guy's been interviewed about the Kecksburg UFO incident probably 9,000 times and he's probably tired <laughs> as hell of talking about it. So I'm like, all right, well, we'll just talk about this a little bit and toss it out the window because he looks at a, a lot of different unusual cases. So I'm going to see where we can take this. You know, hmm. um, I, I want to try to give him a different interview, but I have no idea how this is going to go. So oh, just let it go like normal. Let yeah. him talk. I've, I've, I've been accused. It's been said about us that we don't do interviews. We do conversations, which isn't I'm, that the way it's supposed to be. I don't know. I'm happy with it. I think that's yeah, the way, I don't you know, care. I think that's, uh, I think You're supposed that's, to talk to people. Yeah. That's the whole idea. Yeah. Anyways, we'll see everybody at the other side. Bye bye. So tonight we have Stan Gordon with us. Stan, you are out of Pennsylvania. 
And Lobo and myself were joking right before we had you on. We said that Missouri, I think Missouri is the show me state, and I think Pennsylvania should be known as the show me your weird state. Um, you've been doing this for a long, long time. I believe you started uh, when you were 16 years old with the Kecksburg UFO incident. Is that correct? Well, actually, I started in 1959 when I was 10. <clears throat> That's when my interest began. Wow. And uh, it will surprise your listeners to know that in the uh, – now, over 57 years I've been doing this research, I have never personally seen a UFO or Bigfoot myself. I've interviewed thousands of witnesses. I've seen a lot of evidence out in the field over the years, but I've never had my own personal encounter. Are you, really? Are you sad or happy about that? Or, you know, what is your reaction to that? Well, my reaction is that I, I have no doubt after the thousands of cases I looked into, the, the various patterns that we saw over the years, the different evidence that we came up with in some of the sighting locations, that there's phenomena out there which we don't have an explanation for. But at the same time, I, I you know, if I'm to see one and that's the right time and place, then I'll see one. But it keeps me open-minded but skeptical. But I'm pretty well convinced that there's phenomena out there that we don't have an explanation for. Let me ask you this then. Since you're in the middle of this bullseye, what is about Pennsylvania that's such a magnet for strangeness? Is do you think there's do you think every state is like this because it seems like Pennsylvania it, you know, it's pretty much known for Bigfoots, but there's far more than Bigfoots that you have happen there. You've got UFOs, you've got your fair share of ghosts. It just seems like that state has got every kind of possible strangeness from witchcraft thereon. What is it about your state that it seems to attract all this stuff? Well, I, I really can't give you a definitive explanation, but I can tell you that historically it's been going on for a long time. I mean, there's accounts going back to the Native Americans in Pennsylvania. There were many accounts during the 1800s in the newspapers of uh, possible encounters with Bigfoot and UFO sightings, and uh, it's, it never ends. It goes on year after year. Um, just to give you a little bit of background and maybe why in certain, yeah, certain years – We've had so many reports in Pennsylvania beyond the historical reports. Uh, like I said, I started this in 1959, and just to give you a little uh, background on how I got involved, 1965 I got involved uh, in the field investigations after the December 9th UFO crash incident near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. So I've been out in the field since that time period. In the uh, late 1960s, I got involved with a group called the UFO Research Institute, and there was a small group of mainly Pittsburgh area scientists and engineers. It was actually the group that Stanton Friedman started with when he began in the field. And I was the young guy in the group, but I was already very deeply involved in investigations. So I became the telephone sighting coordinator. So when they would get a report, it would come to me directly. I would do the initial interviews and determine if the cases warranted further investigation. And I stayed with them until they shut down their operation in 1969. I decided to set up my own hotline for the public, and I began to make contact with the local police and the news media, told them what I was doing. Back in those days, there was a lot more ridicule than there is today, but I tried to handle it very seriously, and as word got out, my phone in my home was ringing off the hook day and night. There were calls coming in from people reporting not just UFOs, but anything unusual from haunted houses and ghosts and UFOs and strange creatures, and it went on and on and on. And it became very apparent very quickly that this was a lot more than I could handle on my own. So I decided to, I was going to develop and form a volunteer research group. 
and I wanted to do something a little different. Uh, I was hoping to get a group of people who were mainly research people, people who had specialized backgrounds, who would volunteer their time to go out and investigate these cases, and as a quick response type of team, that we would be on the scene, hopefully within minutes to hours, or even while the phenomenon was ongoing. So that's what I did. So in 1970, I founded the first of three volunteer groups. That was the uh, Westmoreland County UFO Study Group, and as time went on, we had scientists and engineers and technicians, and we had people who were connected with uh, Alcoa and Westinghouse. And what um, really? How did you get Westinghouse people involved? <laughs> well, because there were, there were physicists, there was engineers, and a lot of these guys got involved with me because of their interest, but they did it anonymously because of their positions. And um, we started out small in the Pittsburgh area. But by 1973, we had extended to cover the whole state of Pennsylvania, and we were getting lots of reports in. To our surprise, we began to get referrals from various agencies, the state police and others, and we were lucky that we were already set up because we had this biggest outbreak in history of UFO and Bigfoot sightings in 1973, which we can talk about, and it was during that time frame we uncovered some of the strangest cases in history. But th- what, I start- what I was really trying to uh, focus on is the fact that here in 1969, I set up my hotline. This was long before the Internet and the cell phones. And it was one of the only places in the country you could call to report an incident, and you would have research people actually investigating the cases. Well, our group and that number became well-known. It's still as active today as it was back in 1969 with reports coming in here. And um, so we got a lot more reports in Pennsylvania than other states. It may well be that you have a lot of this activity going on around the country, because I get calls from all over the country, but people don't know where to report, or people aren't following up on the investigation. So it could be something along that line as well. There, that, that I know of, the only other one that was like that was the UFO Reporting Center. Yeah, and, and you had the National UFO Reporting Center, and you had some other national groups, but we actually had people who are responding to the cases and going out to investigate 24 hours a day, which was a little different. So somebody basically essentially what you're saying is somebody could call in and say i just saw such and such happen and you could get a team together as quick as possible to get them out there and investigate so how much of a percentage would you say are your like say ufo versus bigfoot versus whatever other kind of high strange like dogmen for example or something like that do you have something that's a higher percentage than something and something else well, first of all, let me tell you this. You know, when I started out in the field back in 65, one thing that became apparent very quickly, and it's still the same today, you know, I, reports come in regularly, year after year, all year round. And many of the reports initially may sound strange and unusual, but when you take the time to properly investigate the cases, many are determined to be either natural or man-made in origin. There are a lot of misidentifications. There's a lot of things that can create what appear to be strange events, but there's explanations. But every year there are incidents being reported that are not so easily dismissed. There are things out there we cannot explain away so easily. But year after year, the majority of reports that come in are of UFO sightings. You get a lot more UFO reports than anything else. And then you get, I have a variety of cryptid reports coming in year after year. Um, Bigfoot, common every year with sightings. Last year was quite big, uh, active with Bigfoot reports. Bear with me, I'm getting over a really bad cold. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Anyhow, we, we have the, the sightings of the Thunderbirds, these huge, massive birds 
with these huge wingspans like a small aircraft that are seen. And we're getting more reports in more recent years. Um, other cryptids, uh, black panthers, of course, an animal that you see in the zoo, common to Africa and Asia, not supposed to be in here in Pennsylvania, but they've been seeing them for years and years. And some aspects of that, that we uncovered is very, very strange. And I'm sure we'll get into some of these different weirdness things that we found with some of these cryptids. And then I've had all kind of other entity reports from floating entities, uh, like the wing, the humanoid up in Butler County several years ago. I mean, all kind of weird, weird creature reports that come in. And then I get reports of all kind of other phenomena from, um, you know, mystery booms. We used to call uh, skyquakes back in the 60s. Uh, there's all kind of phenomena and reports come in here. But many of these things we can trace down. Some things we can't. Uh, some things are meteorological in nature. You get strange meteorological events that people report. Um, you know, with UFOs, some misidentifications, they range anywhere, for, of course, from bright planets and stars and meteors, reentry of space debris. And now we deal with the drones and the Chinese lanterns. And sometimes, again, like I said, unusual meteorological phenomena. But then there again, there's a lot of cases that are very intriguing. You cannot easily dismiss. Well, do you have a percentage of, say, this is going to be kind of hard to answer, let alone ask. If you had to take a percentage of the cases you look at, how many of them did you say are explainable versus the ones where you walk away scratching your head going, I'm not sure what that is? Yeah, it, it, Like you said, it, it varies year to year. It changes year to year. And again, you know, you've you got some cases you can easily explain, and you know what they are. You know they're definitely positively misidentifications. Then you've got some cases that are really interesting, but again, there's not enough really complete good data to say 100% for sure what it was but some are very interesting. And then you've got some cases that after you interview the people, sometimes you see the evidence, so you know the little details, the patterns of what they're reporting is consistent with many reports you've had. Some of them just remain in that very strange category of things you don't have an explanation for, but there's been a pattern of, <coughs> excuse me, of this for many years, and uh, you, know, you, you begin to realize there's something going on out there. We just don't know what the answers are. So of all the cases and things that you've researched, over the years, do you have a preference for certain cases that you prefer to investigate over others? Are you more of a, a Sasquatch person or a UFO person or, you know, high strangeness in general with strange creatures? Do you have something you prefer to research over anything else? I'm very interested in all the phenomena, but I, I will say I lean towards more towards the Bigfoot, some of the cryptozoology-type reports. I find them just amazing, especially since the events of the 1970s. And what we uncovered with some of the Bigfoot accounts and what I found in more recent years, I've, I've written three books about it now, and uh, some of the cases are just incredible with these uh, cryptozoological creatures that people report year after year. And, and, I, and I think we're beginning, beginning to realize that there's something to these reports, that some of these appear to be something other than flesh and blood animals, which is why we never have any bodies, but there's something going on. And it's not just in Pennsylvania, because I'm in touch with researchers around the country and some out of the country over the years, and many of these other researchers are getting the same time information. But what I found back in the 70s, and then when we get into some of the cases, you'll see what, I, what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's where we're going next. <laughs> yeah, it's so strange and unusual that a lot of researchers were reluctant to talk about it. Now, in more recent years, you've got other good researchers out there who are beginning to bring this out, uh, 
like uh, Nick Redfern and uh, Linda Godfrey and, and others out there who have also written about these type of reports they're getting. I've been receiving these reports since the 70s, and uh, there, there's things out there that are just very mystifying. But, again, when you talk to so many credible witnesses, I mean, I talk to people come, calling in almost every day. A lot of these are old reports of people who are reluctant to call in about or tell anybody about. And, and you see how, in some cases, people's lives have been affected by these encounters, that something's happening. Well, let's go back. You mentioned earlier about things began to pop in 1973. So when you look back on that time period, what are the things that stick out the most to you? What are the cases that had the most significance to where you said, all right, there's something going on here? Well, okay, let's go back to just to give you a little bit of history. So 1973, we have this biggest outbreak ever, ever recorded as far as known in any state. Started in Pennsylvania January 1st, continued to the last day of the year. There were hundreds and hundreds of UFO reports coming in from all across the state. And many of them were not just lights in the sky, but these were large structured craft. Some cases very low off the ground, uh, hovering over roadways, chasing cars, landing reports, sometimes with physical evidence on the ground. Um, it was an amazing time to live through just with the UFO calls coming in. Then in the summer of 73, we, we had this biggest outbreak of Bigfoot sightings that went on into early 1974. It started in southwest Pennsylvania. Actually, started actually several miles from where I live, out in the rural area, uh, off of Route 30 by the old Green Gate Mall. Back then, there was a lot of woods around there, and uh, how it all started. I got a phone call from a person, a relative of a person, who told me they need me to get in touch with this relative that had a strange incident, which occurred on the night of July 20, no, July 31st, 1973. Uh, it was a warm night. The guy was in the bathroom in his little rural home shaving because he got up early for work. And um, he began to smell this funny odor. And he turned around to look at the bathroom window, which the window was up and the screen was in. And there in the window, <coughs> these two huge glowing red eyes staring at him. The window was eight feet off the ground. And he could smell this rotten odor. He said it was like rotten cucumber. He ran into another room and yelled, and some of the other people came out and they smelled the odor, but whatever there was gone. And um, he had some physical problems afterwards, possibly associated with that. He went to the hospital, and a week later, uh, I went out to interview him when he had just been released from the hospital, went out and talked to him, and uh, he was still pretty shook up by what he saw. And while I was there, um, we learned that some of the local boys several weeks before had taken a shortcut through the woods over to the mall and they heard this commotion in the woods, and they figured it was a deer. They began to throw some rocks in to scare the deer out. And instead, there's a seven, eight-foot-tall, hairy creature with long eyes swinging across the road, went up behind the house. So I got to interview the boys, and um, I asked the people on the property if it was okay if I went up and looked around, and they said, sure. A couple of the kids asked if they could go with me, and they followed me up the hill. And I remember the ground up in that hill, the embankment wasn't really good. Looked around there for a while, and I was about ready to go home for the day, and I happened to look down, and there in front of me is the weirdest, well, I remember it was a part, I believe it was a part of a track, another whole track in front of me. Strangest thing I had ever seen. It was 13 inches long and 8 inches wide, but three-toed, clearly three-toed. And the kids ran over and said, what kind of animal can make a footprint like that? So I got on the radio and um, called one of my research associates, and he came out, and we took... Um, 
photographs, uh, measurements, made a cast of the track. And um, while we're out in the field, we get a radio call that one of our investigators uh, north of Pittsburgh that morning was investigating an incident where something nine feet tall was looking in a trailer, and the police found large footprints up in the area that morning. Well, that was the beginning of this massive outbreak of Bigfoot sightings that went on for weeks and months across uh, different parts of Pennsylvania. It, it was incredible. And many of these sightings um, were in daylight at extremely close range. This was not like what you see on TV today where somebody gets a glimpse of something dark running away half a mile away and they're guessing at something. Many of these were in daylight. You're talking incidents of these things were five to ten feet away from people where sometimes they walked out in front of cars or walked near rural homes or mobile homes where people got a really good look at these things. In some cases, there was more than one creature seen together. And in quite a number of these incidents, we would get calls, we'd get out to the scene, or the police would get calls, and we'd find various evidence at the scene. We'd have trails of footprints. Um, we made many casts during that time period, took a lot of pictures. And uh, it was an amazing, excuse me, amazing, amazing time to go through. And, um, but then it got much stranger as the weeks and months went on. And once again, you've got to remember, this was the day of no Internet, no cell phones. It was a whole different time period. Most people, when they saw something and were scared, they called the police. So the police were getting a lot of these reports coming in initially. And um, as time went on, things began to get a lot stranger. For example, we would get some of our teams out to some of these locations very quickly. There would be trails of footprints that would suddenly stop and disappear. But there should have been more tracks because of the ground conditions. Um, in other cases, uh, weird things were coming to our attention. I remember one fellow out near Lake Trobe said that he had a relatively new car. He was riding down the road. All of a sudden, this large, hairy Bigfoot creature walked out in front of his vehicle, and suddenly his engine began to sputter, and the car began to shut down, and when the creature walked off, everything came back on again. Now, that's something you rarely hear about with Bigfoot, even though it's been reported before, but it's very common with low-level UFO sightings historically. Mm -hmm. And then we began to see a pattern where, for example, we would have a, a Bigfoot sighting in a particular area. Within minutes to hours or days later, we would have a UFO sighting, or vice versa. And then we had amazing cases, which we can talk about, where Bigfoot and UFOs were seen together at the same time and place. Yeah, you know what? Well, let me ask you one thing. Was this during the time period as well? There's uh, there's a couple of different stories, actually, but there's one story, and I can't remember exactly when it was, where a UFO was actually chased by police officers from Michigan through Ohio and Indiana, or did it start in Indiana and go up through Ohio and into Michigan? I don't remember. Uh, I believe it started in Pennsylvania as well, though, didn't it? Was there some kind of a case that happened back then that was associated with Pennsylvania? Yep, and if my memory is good, it was April 17, 1966. And that uh, was outside of, oh, it was in Ohio, and they chased that object several different police departments outside of, outside of Pittsburgh, not too far from Pittsburgh. And uh, that was a very, very intriguing case. And um, I remember it very well because the uh, Pittsburgh Nightcap Subcommittee investigated the incident. And that was a time when the Air Force was still involved with Project Blue Book, and of course they got involved in the incident as well. Wow. <laughs> Here, here's a question for you. The um, there's been numerous uh, reports and sightings and just um, 
like secondhand discussion about UFOs or strange happenings around power plants and high tension lines and yep. all, all what what was the most um, head scratching for you that didn't fall into any any real good explanation. Okay, well, uh, in fact, actually, we're getting into that now with some of the 73 cases we uncovered. And what you just brought up is very interesting. Uh, I talk about this quite a bit, and I mention this in my more recent book. Um, what I found years and years ago, and it's going on more, it's still going on today in more and more recent cases, here's what I found. Many low-level, close-range UFO encounters, we're not talking just about lights, we're talking large structured craft. Many low-level encounters with these type of objects many close-range cryptid encounters of people who encounter Bigfoot and the giant Thunderbirds and Black Panthers and all kind of other weird entities. They very commonly occur in the vicinity of high-tension power lines, power plants, gas wells, gas lines, uh, reservoirs, radio communication towers, um, all kind of energy sources now around windmill farms, for example. This is something I've noticed many, many years ago. There seems to be an energy connection with a lot of these phenomena we're dealing with. Hmm. Do you see any? Do you see any reason why this would be such a thing? Or I mean, I've heard reports of UFOs, you know, quote unquote, charging off of power lines or something. But to see cryptids around such a thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I guess okay. this kind of ties into the whole UFOs and Bigfoot crossing paths, because. In most research, like, I've noticed this myself, and I've talked to Bigfoot people. I'll bring up the whole UFO thing, and they're very quick to dismissively shoot that down. And with the UFO people, if I bring up the cases where Bigfoot was sighting in regards, it's the exact same thing. The UFO people are like, well, we're not really into Bigfoot, and we think this, this, and that. And it's like, well, a lot of these cases happen where these things cross, and you've also, as you mentioned, got the thing with cryptids involving power sources and things like that. So where do we go from here? And you're exactly right. I, this is something I've been talking about for years and years. You know, I, back in, again, going back to the 70s, when I started publishing a lot of my findings, there was a huge amount more ridicule back there than then today, because as you said, a lot of UFO researchers don't want to associate UFOs with Bigfoot, and vice versa. Many in the Bigfoot field don't want to associate Bigfoot with UFOs. And they both but think each other are hokey, I, I, too. They both think it's like, well, those UFO guys are nuts. And the, the UFO people are like, yeah, those, there's something off with those Bigfoot people. And you're kind of looking at both I, of them like, what's wrong with you people? You know? <laughs> well, but, but what I did, I, be, I was communicating with people all over the world back in those days. And I found even in the 70s, people from all over the world were having similar accounts. But they were, they were so reluctant to publish it because they were afraid they were going to be ridiculed by their peers. They just refused to do it. Now, in more recent years, you're hearing a lot more about these type of cases, and a lot more people are beginning to publish these reports. And I'm in contact with a lot of people around our country, other researchers. I do a lot of radio talk shows, and I'm finding that there are a lot more people now in the Bigfoot field who are beginning to ask the same questions I have for a long time and are beginning to ask the same questions, you know, could we be dealing with something other than a normal flesh and blood animal? Yeah, as reluctant as I am to say it, and again, I'm going to tell you about some of the cases that I based some of this on back during that wave of 73 and 74. Some of the evidence we found 
reluctant as I am to say it, for lack of a better term, that we're dealing with something that's interdimensional, that under certain conditions, and we don't have all the answers, these things, some types of UFOs, some Bigfoot, maybe other cryptids, they come into our physical reality under certain conditions. They can look completely physically solid at times. They can leave physical evidence and traces behind, but then they're gone. They suddenly go and they disappear. They come and they go. And that's why we very rarely have any really good pictures of them. And while we have some physical evidence, nobody's ever come up with any bodies. And, and, and then I've got to tell you about some of the cases that I've had over the years that I uncovered that I wrote about my solid invasion book that gets into the really weird stuff. Well, where do you want to start? Go for it. <laughs> all right, let's go back to, let, we'll go back to 73 with all this going on. Okay. So, as I said, as time went on during those events, we began to get reports from the public. The police were getting a lot of reports on these events. We were getting the calls on. We're checking them out. And... The most amazing, well, first let me tell you about this. On September 27, 1973, north of Pittsburgh, two women are uh, waiting for a friend to pick them up. They see this huge, hairy Bigfoot, but it's covered with white hair. You don't hear about the white ones very often. They're reported on occasion. So here's a huge, hairy creature running across the road towards the woods, but in one of its hands, it's carrying a glowing ball of light. And uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and a short time later, this object comes across the sky, projects a beam of light down into the woods where the creature had ran into. We found that was a very interesting case, and there were other things somewhat similar. But then, the case of all cases, and I don't have time to even tell you the whole story, but it was the case that convinced me and my team, and you've got to remember, a lot of people in my teams were, were very skeptical scientists and research people. And a lot of these guys got involved with me during that time period and spent weeks and months and some for years out in the field. And as time went on, as they began to see the evidence, interview the witnesses, see the patterns, they began to realize, you know what, there's something happening here, and we just don't know what it is. So October 25, 1973, this is up in Fayette County near Uniontown, PA. You'll probably hear me mention Fayette County tonight quite a bit. It's a very hot area for repeated encounters year after year with UFOs and cryptids. Anyhow, I got a call from the state police barracks at Uniontown from a trooper that just came back from investigating this incident. He told me he felt it was very likely something was still up in this pasture. He wanted me to get a team up there as soon as possible. So it was already late at night. I got a call about 1030 at night, and um, we assembled our team. We got our our equipment, uh, radiation equipment, our recorders and stuff, and found our way up to this uh, area up in Fayette County. <coughs> Excuse me. Found out about um, 9 o'clock that night. About 15 people uh, had observed this object in the sky about as big as a barn, like a big red ball, about 100 feet off the ground. It was slowly moving towards the ground. And um, this fellow uh, was coming down the the uh, farm lane to his dad's farm was where this was happening, and he saw it, and he went up to a neighbor's house to get a better viewpoint of it, and they watched this thing. It looked like it was going to land over in his dad's pasture. So he and two young neighbor boys decided they were going to go up to see what this thing was. He stops over to his dad's farm. He grabs a .30-06 and a handful of ammunition, which included two tracers. And, of course, if you're hunting, you know those tracers just give you that luminous trail. And um, as they're heading down towards the pasture in the distance, dogs are going crazy. 
They hear like those high-pitched whining sounds. They hear like baby crying sounds, which are getting louder. They finally um, find their way up to the top of the up to the pasture, and when they get up there, they're standing there in amazement because about 250 feet away, this object is on the ground right above it. But now it's about um, it's about 100 feet or so in diameter. It's a big white dome, and it's not a complete sphere. It's like a hemisphere, but it's illuminating the whole area, and it's uh, making this whining noise. And they're just standing there. They, they can't believe what they're seeing. And then their attention's drawn to this, <laughs> excuse me, barbed wire fence about 75 feet away. Along that barbed wire fence are these two tall figures, one behind the other, slowly walking in their direction. The fence posts are about six feet tall. The one in front is about eight feet tall. The one behind it is about seven feet tall. These things are bipedal. Um, they're walking upright. They're covered with long, dark, matted hair. They have glowing green eyes. The arms are so long, they're almost down, almost touching the ground. They're making this baby crying, whining noise. Huh? And uh, they're walking very slowly. Oh, in hell no. <laughs> oh, hell no. So but as they're watching, I mean, they're getting pretty upset. The one boy is so scared he runs out of the field. The other guy yells to him, shoot him, shoot him. So the guy finally takes That's the, the answer. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry. So um, his first shot is a tracer, and he just gets that luminous trail. But interestingly, when he fires that second shot, which is a second tracer, the largest of the two creatures leaves out this loud grunt loud baby crying sound reaches out as a grab at that tracer and the moment it does it the object in the field just disappears and vanishes it doesn't take off it just vanishes most of the luminosity is gone the sound goes out and they can't believe what they're saying what the creatures at that point turn around start slowly walking back towards the woods the guy at this point starting to fire live ammo right into him was 30-06. And the guy told me, he said, I'll never forget how that biggest creature kept staring at me with those glowing green eyes while I'm firing live ammo into it, my 30-06. He said, I know I hit it, but there was no effect on it. And the guys were scared to death. They ran out of the field, ran into their truck, went back to the farmhouse, told them what happened, took them to a neighbor's and called the state police. When the trooper arrived 45 minutes later, they went up in the troop car to look for evidence, and just to make the story short, the, t the trooper told me the area where the object was on the ground was self-luminescent and glowing, but 100 feet or more in diameter. The animals, the farm animals, wouldn't go near it. He said he had a, he had a flashlight. You could barely see, it, barely see it. He said if he had a newspaper, he could have sat down within the area and read the paper from the illumination coming off of that glowing area. Oh, Anyhow... Crap. Other things were going on. They went back to the barracks. They were both separately interviewed in two separate rooms when they went back to the barracks. Then I was called to set a team up. And things got, and I don't have time to get into it. I wrote the whole thing up in my solid invasion book. Things that happened on the scene that morning, early morning, that got even weirder and weirder. And I can tell you, that was the case that convinced me and some of my team that there was a lot more to this phenomena that we had any explanation for. And then it got stranger after that with some of the reports coming in. And I'll be glad to tell you about the case that convinced me Go for that, it. <laughs> that there was more to Bigfoot than just flesh and blood. That, so this, that, didn't, 
That didn't make you think they were more than flesh and blood. Well, that wasn't really a Bigfoot. Those were just weird, like, alien-like type creatures. Well, did you find any physical evidence of, of that there? Did you find any tracks, any you know, any no, kind of blood it, or anything? It was, it was flattened a little bit in the area. The radiation levels were normal. But because of what later took place, and there were some very strange things, like I said, I don't have time to get into everything. It was incredible, but... We, we began to realize that this was a lot more complex than just a UFO and a Bigfoot encounter out there. And, uh, and let me say this before I get into this really weird case. I'm not trying to suggest that Bigfoot is extraterrestrial or an alien because there was a UFO and Bigfoot there. We just don't know what that association of direct association is, if any. We don't know. You know, we don't know for sure what the UFOs are. You know, are some of them extraterrestrial? Are some interdimensional or some time travelers, some unknown natural phenomena? We don't have the answers. But there is something happening here which is much more complex than a lot of people realize. And then we had the incident. This was the case that really convinced me that, uh, again, there was more to Bigfoot than meets the eye. So this is February 6, 1974. Excuse me one second. February 6, 1974. I don't know how old you fellows are, but back at that time period, there was a big national trekker strike going on. There was gas rationing going on. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I was born in 75. Yeah, I was born okay. in 72. So, I, but I, I okay. you know, I grew up in the 70s. So, you know, you heard about gas rationing all the time and, you know, all, all that stuff. That's This was also the age when uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind was big and, and Paranormal was just starting to break into the the public zeitgeist for the most part. Okay, so anyhow, there was, during that trucker strike, there was a lot of violence on the roads across the country. So back in Pennsylvania, the National Guard was patrolling with the state police. They were able, they both responded to this incident at the, that evening. I couldn't get up there because I couldn't get gas. I couldn't get up there the next morning. So what happened is deep in the mountains of Pennsylvania, up there in Fayette County, woman who lived there all her life knew farm knew the animals very well, was a very good shot, uh, was sitting in her little cabin home watching TV as normal when she hears this uh, commotion on her little front porch of her home. There was some pop cans out there, and someone was rattling up cans, and she had a previous problem with a pack of wild dogs coming through. So she thought, I bet you those dogs are back. She thought in her head, you know what, I'm going to grab my shotgun, and I'm just going to fire around over their head and scare those dogs away. So that's what she did. She loaded her shotgun on one chamber. She walked over to the wall, turned on the switch for the outside porch light, walked to the front door, opened up the door, and stepped out. There's no dogs there. But only a few feet in front of her is this huge, hairy creature, she said, with, her arm, with its arms straight up over its head. And what does she do? She fires right into it. <laughs> she said there's this You can't blame blade. her. You know? <laughs> there's this bright flash of light. She said like a uh, like a uh, flash on a camera, and it disappears right in front of her. Now, her in-laws lived 100 feet away. They heard the gunshot. They called her and asked her what she was shooting at. She told them. The son-in-law grabs his pistol, starts walking up towards the house. He sees a, a shadowy figure running up the road, and as he gets closer, he said he's surrounded by four or five hairy people with eyes like coals of fire, starts shooting at them randomly, runs into the cabin home, and about the same time, there's this large, luminous object with different color lights on it hovering over the woods at the same time. They called the state police, and um, 
by the time they found the place up in the mountains, whatever was going on there was gone. However, I talked to the, the main investigating officer, and he said, I don't know what was going on up there, but it was something really weird. He based that on the animal reactions, and that I have seen. Um, in many instances, especially with Bigfoot, especially with even their most ferocious dogs, when these dogs are close to these creatures, they're just like paralyzed. They don't bark, they don't move, they cower, they hide. It's something that you couldn't fabricate, and that's very, very common. And other animals very commonly also are reported to react very strongly when these things are close by. And that's what the trooper told me. He said they had a, they had a number of dogs up there, other animals. They're all acting very strange. The dogs wouldn't bark. He said there was one big dog in a cage. The dog wouldn't move. He said he actually opened the cage up, tried to pull the dog out. The dog wouldn't even move. He should have ripped his arm off. Now, the next morning when I went back up there, uh, everything was back to normal. All the dogs were barking at me. But um, it was a very, very strange case, and that wasn't the only one we had, which suggested that we were dealing with something that was not just flesh and blood. And I, I've had many, many cases now over the years. We've seen a pattern to many very weird aspects of Bigfoot that a lot of people just are unaware of, or it's something that so many Bigfoot researchers know about, but they're so reluctant to talk about it that um, you know, it's something you just don't hear about much. Well, what are some of the examples of a pattern that you're seeing? What are, give me some examples of pattern-like activity. Well, again, a lot of sightings occur around energy sources. Um, one thing we found back, especially in those days, a lot of sightings were occurring around uh, mobile homes, uh, mobile home communities. Um, there was a lot of similarities between the, the tracks, some of the tracks we were finding, the footprints. Uh, interestingly, some of the tracks back in those were three-toed tracks, but also five-toed tracks are showing up, and that's something a lot of researchers are not aware of, but not just in Pennsylvania, but throughout the country, even the areas of the Pacific Northwest, other parts of the country, there's a lot of history of the five-toed tracks. They also have found five-toed and three-toed tracks, sometimes four-toed tracks, which is very, very strange. And um, you talk to the witnesses, who have seen these things, and, and they give you the certain little details they talk to you about, they're reluctant to talk about, that uh, sometimes occur on the property. Sometimes people are seeing odd uh, little lights anywhere. I call them mini-UFOs. Some are like little small small firefly-type objects. Some are in range anywhere from a few inches, about a foot in diameter. And, and this is interesting, too, because in more recent years, and I'm getting this from numerous Bigfoot researchers and Bigfoot groups, that those guys are going out in areas searching for evidence of Bigfoot in certain areas. They're not seeing Bigfoot, but they're seeing these strange balls of light or different orbs of light, as they want to call them, uh, in the areas they couldn't explain. So this has been going on for a long, long time. So, you know, that three-toe track, it reminds me of the Falk Monster. Yeah, yeah. that's... Oof. Yeah, and that's I don't creepy. know if you've uh, seen the picture of it... Uh, of the three-toe track I have, but it's a very, very detailed track. The, the toes were very deep in the ground. They were clearly defined. Um, and other tracks, similar tracks were showing up. And uh, similar tracks are shown up around the country as well, and in other countries. And just another part of the mystery that I'll add to, in fact, I'm developing another new program. From, I do a lot of lectures on these subjects around the country. And um, I'm developing a new program. I'm just on the very strange aspects of Bigfoot. And uh, one thing is, 
there have been numerous cases over the years where uh, we've uncovered a lot of other very strange footprints that are not the normal type of tracks that you generally see with Bigfoot. However, for example, I remember one very large, very strange footprint that we had uncovered. I remember that night really well. It was a very eerie night uh, during 73. This was a little tiny rural community. And I remember we got a call from the state police about them finding these great big, huge footprints down this area. And that particular night, in fact, I mentioned it in my book, there was a reporter who was covering these stories, just happened to be with us that night. We got the call, and he followed us out to the area. And when you got there, you probably had the part of the little village there with the kids in their pajamas and people out there with with uh, flares in this foggy, weird area and these huge footprints on the ground. It looked like something out of a sci-fi movie. It was so amazing. I took some wonderful pictures of that I still have. And um, anyhow, you hear these very large footprints uh, in the ground, and they were three-toed, but they were not like other three-toed tracks that we had seen. And for a long time, we really didn't talk much about it, trying to still figure it out. And years later, the same type of track showed up in California. Huh. Were there um, reports of UFOs along with these tracks as well? Is there a pattern to these tracks with UFO sightings? Let me put it that way. Well, I can't say in that particular case, but there have been many reports within miles of there of people seeing UFOs, you know. Mm-hmm. During that wave, there were a lot of reports. And, um, you know, we, we staked out a lot of areas during that time. My team, especially areas where there were supposedly report, uh, repeated sightings going on, uh, on a couple of the farms out in Dairy Township. The Chestnut Ridge is a 100-mile-long mountain range that stretches from Preston County, West Virginia, to Westmoreland Fay in Indiana County in Pennsylvania. And particularly during that time period in Almost every year since then, it still goes on even this past year. There's all kind of weird phenomena along our Westmoreland County area of the Chestnut Ridge. That goes back many, many years from underground sounds to strange objects being seen and UFOs to um, the Thunderbird sightings to Bigfoot sightings, all kind of weird, weird cases along that dairy side of the ridge. Why, we don't know. Um, Again, yes, there's a lot of energy sources around there. But it's more than normal reports. And during that time, there were a lot of sightings going on with Bigfoot. Uh, We were out there day and night investigating reports. They were coming in from so many different people in different areas. And um, it was just some very, very weird stuff. Can you give us a a good example of, you you keep mentioning the Thunderbirds. What is the, the, the one investigation that stands out foremost in your mind as far as that phenomena? Oh, boy, there, there have been so many reports. Um, in fact, interesting, I talked to a guy, interviewed a guy just two days ago um, who, had, who was reluctant to tell anybody about this incident. He's going to send me a statement. Um, but I talked to him. This happened in eastern PA um, a couple years ago. And just to make the story short, um, this was an area, he really knew nothing about this type of thing, hadn't heard about it, wasn't interested in weird things. And uh, he was just in a situation out in the wooded area where um, something, ca- something caused a commotion in the woods. And the next thing he knew, this massive giant bird rose up. He saw the shadows of it first and went right over the top of his head. And he said, I got a really good look at it for seconds. He said, this thing easily had a wingspan of probably maybe around 15 feet. 
but the, uh, the the story that right off the bat of my head, I remember interviewing a guy that uh, had an incident happen not far from Pennsylvania, actually in West Virginia, not too far away. <laughs> it happened, um, I believe, in the fall of 2007. Outside of a um, little town, there was a little two-lane road, and um, anyhow, it was early morning hours, and he was driving down uh, this road in his vehicle, and all of a sudden he had to just stop suddenly because um, here's this massive bird that is uh, blocking the roadway. It's based, it's on the road eating roadkill. And um, I remember he said, if this thing, he said, if this thing was standing up, he said the top of it, as it was standing, was above the liner of his vehicle. So he said it easily stood about four feet tall. And he said it was just amazing. The thing was staring at him. He was staring at it. He said it had so much weight to it, it was like hopping from one leg to the other, trying to balance itself, and flapping its big wings, trying to get up off the ground. And um, he said you could see the wingtips hitting the edge of the two-lane road on each side. You could see the gravel and dirt uh, shaking up and swirling from its movements of the wings. And finally it was able to get airborne up over the trees. And the guy went back the next day and measured the wingspan. It was 21 feet across. Holy crap. You know, with these with these Thunderbird sightings, though, these things are so massive, you would think that people, other people would be seeing these, especially in, you know, more populated areas, because it's not like, you know, a small bird flying by. These these things are huge, you know. Well, so the, is this another example? It could be an example of, like, an extra-dimensional phenomenon or something that's just messing with our consciousness. No, I think, again, a lot of these sightings are occurring around energy sources, very common. There's some characteristics of them that fit in with some of the other cryptids I've been finding over the years. But it's the whole same situation with you, with Bigfoot, with uh, other strange creatures. People are very reluctant to tell anybody. Just like this fellow I talked to a couple of days ago. You saw it a couple of years ago. But because of his position, he said, I didn't want to tell anybody. I think I'm crazy. People are very reluctant to report these things. You know, I interview people from all walks of life. I've talked to state troopers and military and commercial pilots, educators, you know, lawyers, doctors, all kind of people who have seen these things. And they're extremely reluctant to come forward and tell anybody because of their reputation. They don't want to get out there and be called crazy. And so, it's you know, I, I've had many people over the years I've interviewed who have had these encounters, and for many of them, it was a life-changing experience because most people don't believe these things exist until they have their own encounter. And when they do, many of them have a difficult time dealing with it because they can't believe they actually saw what they saw. And, I mean, I know witnesses from 30 years ago, I'm still in touch with on occasion, who still can't handle the fact that they saw what they saw. And it's, it's a mind-boggling experience. So I think people are seeing these things, and I get reports every year. I know other investigators are getting reports, but people are so reluctant to tell anybody or they don't know who to report to, and uh, I think that's it's probably more common than we realize. Hmm. It's got to be disheartening to have something like that happen and then be so afraid of telling anybody because of your station in life. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that, you know, you know, reputable people see these things, and, I mean, I know cases happened the last year um, in this area that were very significant, very unusual, but
but the witness won't even talk to me about it because they're afraid that somehow somebody's going to find out who they are. I mean, relatives have told me what they knew about it, but uh, witnesses are reluctant to come forward. And there's strange aspects. It's like the Black Panther sightings, you know. These creatures have been seen in Pennsylvania for years and years, but scientifically they've never existed in this part of the world, but they see them in many parts of the country where they aren't supposed to exist. And um, I have one really interesting case, very strange case, in my newest book, Astonishing Encounters, and this happened again up in Fayette County, but this was back in um, 1983. And I remember when I went up to interview the guy up in the rural area of, outside of Uniontown again, and um, this guy was coming home uh, about 1 o'clock in the morning, pulled into his garage, and his car was overheating. So... Uh, he was out there getting some antifreeze, and he heard this growl, and he looked around, and there was this tomcat, pretty you know, nice-sized tomcat, that he didn't pay much attention to. It was just growling at him, and um, it was about 20 feet away from him at the time, and he turned around, went back to work on the car, and then seconds later, he hears a second growl, but this time the growl is much deeper and louder, and he turns around to look, and now this large tomcat has physically grown over a foot the size. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. So he, he took the empty antifreeze jug and threw it at the animal. And he thought he hit it. He wasn't sure. And it growled at him again fiercely, like it was going to attack. And um, the guy ran into his uh, garage and grabbed his pistol. And he came outside, and the thing was walking up the road. But at this point, the thing now had grown to the size of a full black panther. Jesus, what is this, Alice in Wonderland? <laughs> I, well, it was solid and black with yellow eyes. The body was um, <coughs> two to three feet long with a tail about the same length. And he's watching this thing walking up the road, and suddenly in front of him, it just vanishes into thin air and disappears. But Yikes. that's something we hear about with some of the different cryptid cases as well. They're here and they're gone. They come and they go, which is why you never find them. I mean, back... This will give you another really interesting case with a, with a Black Panther. Back in 1983, in a, in a suburb of Pittsburgh, I mean, this was a busy area, this was a very large auto dealership. Um, there was a fence line that separated the, the company from this big wooded area, and there's a mechanic working on a car, putting a headlight on a car, when this huge Black Panther dives over the fence, over the hood of a car and lands a few feet in front of him with a dead animal in its mouth. And the guy's looking at it, it's looking at him, he could smell it, he could see the big fang-like teeth in its mouth, and shortly it just turned around and leaped back over the fence. Well, several other people saw it later with a smaller one. They called the police. That led to a massive search by the Pittsburgh police and animal protectors with weapons and tranquilizer guns. They searched the whole area and never found it. Never found... Uh, they couldn't find where it went to. Nothing was missing from the zoo or anywhere in the area. That area historically is called Panther Hollow, and it's just one of many mysteries like this. Wow. Well, you had mentioned uh, in the email to me and earlier in the show that 2016 was a crazy year for strange phenomena. So let's move up a little bit more to within the last year. What are the more... Um, outlandish or what are the cases that stick out to most to you from the from the last year well, again there are a lot of reports and we get reports year after year but last year was interesting because of some very detailed sighting reports actually first sighting occurred january 1st and this was outside of pittsburgh 
between Monroeville and Trafford here in Westmoreland County. This was a fellow who was um, just visiting in the area for the holidays and left early in the morning to head back to his home. He's traveling on this back road when the headlights of the, excuse me, headlights of the car ahead of him strike this figure walking along the side of the road, and he realized this thing that he's looking at is about six feet tall, walking upright, could kind of with a stoop or a hunch to it, it's covered with brown hair, its arms were down past the knees, but the most amazing part of it was the fact that it had glowing red eyes. And he said, you could see the cars all slowing down, they must have all seen it, so he was sure other people saw it, but, um, so that was actually the first day of the year and the first sighting of the year. And um, as time went on throughout the year, uh, there were numerous, numerous other Bigfoot encounters being reported from a lot in the southwest PA, some reports in other parts of the state as well. And um, one sighting was April 17th near West Newton, PA, which is here in Westmoreland County. It's an area where there's been a lot of history of uh, Bigfoot encounters going back to the late 1960s when they had locally what they called the Lober Monster that was a large seven, eight-foot-tall, white, hairy creature was seen by numerous people who left footprints in the area. But there have been many reports ever since. But this was a woman. I went down to the site with her and her family where it happened. She's coming down, going to her home on a dark rural road um, outside of West Newton. And um, as she's, co she's slowly coming down the road, and she sees this dark, tall figure ahead of her coming up off the road onto the roadway where she's heading right towards, and she slows down, and here's this seven-foot-tall, brownish-red, hair-covered creature standing right next to her passenger-side window looking at her. She has very long, skinny arms, and she said it had red eyes that glowed in the dark, and she was just petrified. She said she gassed the car out of there. She was so scared. She was a person who had no interest in Bigfoot, um, no interest, never believed in Bigfoot, but she was very, very, she called her, her relative as soon as she got home and told her what she had seen, and she was very, very shook up. And then probably one of the more interesting cases, this was investigated by um, my associate researcher, Jim Brown, up in Fayette County. This was May 10th, and uh, this was an area outside of Fairchance, way up in the uh, rural area, mountainous area. This was a very uh, dark rural area. It was a very foggy night, heavy rains going on at the time, and these two men are riding down the road when suddenly this seven-foot-tall, hair-covered creature uh, comes from the left side bank and runs down right onto the right into the road about 20 feet in front of the car and stands there. And the driver slams on the brake, and they're sitting there staring at this thing, and it's looking at them. It has glowing red eyes again, and uh, for a short time they're looking at each other. Then at one point the driver slowly actually moves this car very slowly forward, and both of the men felt the car make contact with the creature. At that point, it actually placed its hands on the front of the car, and the bumper was against its legs, and the a creature uh, removed its hands, moved back, and, and took off and walked down the road and went out of sight, and that was the end of it. But these guys were, they weren't young kids, they weren't Bigfoot enthusiasts, but they were pretty upset about what they saw. That's a common imagine. occurrence with the uh, glowing red eyes. You hear that a lot. You heard it with, like, again, with Mothman, you had the glowing red eyes. You also had various incidences of UFO reportings happening at the same time as that. Um, I don't hear a lot of reports with glowing red eyes in regards to Bigfoot, though. 
usually it's just tall, hairy hominid. You know, the, the three-toed one, as Lobo brought up, as that's that's been brought up many times before. But the glowing red eye thing is um, that's kind of significant. Of this is something beyond, you know, the normal. I guess normal Bigfoot sighting, if there is such a thing. You know, <laughs> well, the glowing red eyes have been reported for many, many years, going back to at least the 1970s. Not in all Bigfoot reports do you have it. Sometimes they're, they're luminous and going kind of red or reddish-orange or green. In some cases, they're not luminous at all. What's interesting is, in a lot of the cases we had, there was no reflective light. Of course, you get your normal eye shine, you know, when you're using a flashlight on a deer, for example. Yeah. That's not what we're seeing in some of these cases because there's no reflective light whatsoever. And there have been some cases even in daylight where some witnesses have reported that these eyes seem to be glowing. And so they're very interesting, um, and in ca- some cases when other cryptids have got the glowing eye reports. But it's the same with the smell. You know, a lot of people talk about this horrendous odor like rotten eggs, um, sulfur that's associated with sightings of Bigfoot. But that's not common in every case. There are many, many sightings where Bigfoot has nothing, there was no smell associated with the creature. My theory is that somehow this smell is a part of the process of them coming into our physical reality. It's part of that process which we're just theorizing about. Outside of Bigfoot and Thunderbird sightings, what other sightings are there of cryptids? You know, do you have your classic dogman sightings, werewolf sightings, etc.? Or are you seeing things beyond that, like giant insect? Or because at one time. When people, when the in the heyday of UFO sightings and and uh, extraterrestrial visits, you didn't have the gray aliens. You had, you know, you had all kinds of different encounters with all kinds of different kind of alien creatures. And then somewhere along the way, it turned into gray aliens and reptilians. Now it seems to be going back into this new pattern of giant flying triangles. Um, you know, and and the encounters with aliens are are starting to become a little bit weirder. Do you have any experiences from within the last couple of years where people are seeing things other than Bigfoots and Thunderbirds? Oh, yes, uh, numerous cases. And um, probably one of the most interesting ones, you talk about, first of all, you talk about the Mothman sighting back in 1966. Um, I, I talk about in my um, Astonishing Encounters book, I talk about a case I investigated um, that nobody ever heard about, heard about much. I remember hearing rumors back in the, about that time period around Pittsburgh that something like the Mothman had been seen, but uh, it, it took a while to actually found uh, direct information on the case, and there was a Mothman incident going on here in the Pittsburgh area at the same time was happening in West Virginia, but it was being covered up quite a bit, and nobody ever heard about it. But something in more recent years that's interesting, and I've interviewed this witness many times, um, this actually occurred March 18th of 2011 up in Butler County, north of Pittsburgh, which has a lot of history also, a lot of weird, strange events, I can tell you, in recent years, there have been uh, various type of cryptids, Bigfoot sightings, UFO reports, some very historical UFO cases have happened up in Butler County. But this one occurred March 18th. This is a businessman who was uh, riding through the area, early morning hours, and um, as he's driving down this rural road, his headlights catch to the right of him what he thought it was a deer over on the grass. But as he gets closer... This creature, which had been bent down and hunched over, stood up, and this thing was a very tall, muscular creature, about eight foot tall. It 
was in his high beams of his headlights, and he watches this thing walked in front of a, one of those big yellow reflective road signs, and it crossed a two-lane road in three long steps and went off into the woods. But what he told me, he said, look, he said, I've heard people talk about seeing Bigfoot. He said, this thing wasn't a Bigfoot. He said, this thing was at least eight foot tall, but it appeared to be covered with smooth, leather-like skin that was either dark tan or light brown in color. And um, the head appeared to be kind of flat in the front and then rounded out, something like an aerodynamic helmet. And the face was flat, and the eyes were not clearly defined, but they appeared to be uh, pointed in the corner. He observed uh, the ear on the one side, on the left side, the only thing he saw of the creature. The arms were very muscular and a little longer than that of a human, but the hands looked more like claws, and the fingers were unclear. But one thing that really stood out was the extremely muscular legs. And he said that the legs did not move like that of a human. They looked like they were bent backwards. And then he saw what appeared to be wings tucked into its back that were actually tucked into the side of the body. And um, he, he was very adamant about what he saw. And interestingly, uh, within days after that happened, the local uh, research group, BORU, had several other reports from different people in the same area who said that they saw the same thing. And um, some of the reports were extremely interesting, uh, of what people said they saw up there and how they described it. And we're hearing second-hand reports in the last year that this thing may have been seen again up in that area or something similar. So there, there's a lot of very, very weird things uh, that are going on. And, you know, once in a while we get these floating entity reports of these smaller things that glide above the ground. Some are luminous, some are not. There's just so many weird things going on out there people don't realize. Um, All right, so here's a, here's a question for you. Um, have you ever run into uh, – well, I'm sure you have. This is actually seems more like a foolish question. But uh, how many times have you been out to investigations where you know straight up that these people are blatantly lying to you, that they're just telling you a story to try and pull your leg or rattle your chain? Well, we normally can tell that before we even get out there because I do a lot of interviews, ask a lot of questions, um, and lots of times you can determine that before you even get that far. Uh, I would say over the years, you go out into a lot of cases and the people are not making stories up. However, there's explanations for what they're saying. Lots of things are explainable. Um, I, I remember one case many, many years ago where there was a, a home that wasn't, uh, had been built and wasn't very old, and um, family had, had moved in, and I'm going from, from memory now, and anyhow, I think it was the husband or the wife had first seen this. They would be sleeping. They had the door, bed, bedroom door open across the hall was the bathroom, and apparently they were seeing this little glowing orb that kind of seemed to be hovering uh, in the bathtub, like a green orb was hovering there. Well, I think it was the wife that saw it first for several weeks. They would only see it at night when it was dark. And then apparently the husband began to see it, and finally they both said, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Well, anyhow, they could see the thing in the dark, and they couldn't explain the thing just there <laughs> right in front of them. They couldn't forget where it was coming from. Well, apparently over a period of time they had uh, some medical experts, radiologists come in. They had all kind of experts coming in to try to figure out what this thing was. And then I got the call on it. Uh, myself and another person went out to the scene, and I'm interviewing the people. They were very credible people. They were very sincere. And anyhow, we got all the lights out, turned all the lights out, got it dark. 
eyes got adjusted, and lo and behold, we're all seeing something there. It's kind of green and small and kind of oblong. And anyhow, I'm looking at this thing, and I say to the people, do you have a basement? And they said, yeah. And I said, do you have any lights on in your basement? And they looked at me and I said, well, yeah, there's this one light that's way up there, but there was a connection or something was broken to it, and they couldn't shut it off. I said, get downstairs and break it. Break the bulb. And as soon as they broke the bulb, poof, it was gone. And what I found out was with the type of um, the conduit, the whatever it was, the piping in there, the way it was designed, the light was traveling up and actually like projecting this glowing green image that was just there. It was like a projection from the light coming through. No kidding. Wow. <laughs> huh. uh, that's you, odd. you get like that that you really would ever, you know, expect. But that's what most of these cases are. Most of the people are credible, but in lots of cases, you know, you can figure out what's going on. But in some cases, there were very strange incidents you couldn't rule out and couldn't disprove. Well, wow. we've had you on here for about an hour now. I usually let people go after an hour. Can I keep you on just a little bit longer? I've got a couple more things I want to ask you because you're just so full of information. Um, sure. Okay. Um, we've covered pretty much everything regarding cryptids, UFOs, and all these kinds of things. So I need to bring in the trifecta here, and that would be cattle mutilations. Do you have reports of all of this stuff in regards with cattle mutilations? I'm sure you do after hearing all of this. Well, I'm aware of the reports, but um, just like with crop circles, crop circles, uh, cattle mutilations, they're not very common in this part of the country in Pennsylvania. I've heard of the reports. I'm aware of them. But it's something we rarely have ever heard about. And I do remember back in the early 70s, um, maybe uh, later, a little later than that, but there was, uh, there was some reports, some cattle mutilations on a farm in western PA that was pretty odd. But I'd have to try to look up the details. I, it's been so long. Um, it's just something we rarely ever hear about in this part of the country for whatever reason. Well, also, you're, that part of the country, it's not like you have out west where it's all plains and everything. Pennsylvania tends to be a very hilly country and very wooded, so you wouldn't have, I, you know, you just don't have the kind of grazing land and stuff like that for cattle that you normally do. I just didn't know if these things, if you have situations where they tie into it, because this stuff usually goes hand in hand with that kind of stuff. Um Bringing back around to the large triangular UFOs, are you getting a lot of reports uh, like everybody else with the giant triangular craft flying through the sky, blocking out the night, etc.? The triangular reports are very intriguing. I've had multitudes of these going back to probably the 1970s. Many of them have been in daylight. There have been sightings over populated areas. Uh, I can tell you in the last couple of years, uh, I remember one case in particular last year. We had a number of sightings, especially towards the end of, not last year, actually now the year before, 2015, October, November. There were a number of low-level sightings. One in particular was up um, towards the mountains, uh, towards Fayette County, well, between Westmore and Fayette County. One case we went up to investigate. This was beautiful morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. This guy sitting by his window drinking coffee. All of a sudden, it gets real dark, like a big black cloud came over, and the guy thought it was odd, so <laughs> he runs out the uh, back door. His dog, which normally follows him everywhere, would not go out. The guy runs outside, and here, 
500 feet above them is this huge, solid, black triangular object. It's hovering there, making no sound. Excuse me, making no sound. And um, he grabs his fully charged phone to take a picture, and he said instantly it completely drained its power and he could not take a picture. We're hearing more and more about that in more recent years, by the way, from different people. And um, so that was interesting. And this year... Uh, there have been a number of triangular uh, sightings. Uh, one was really interesting, and um, this occurred down in eastern PA down in November of this past year. And um, a fellow was outside um, talking on his phone to somebody. When he happened to look up and see this object coming across the sky, he said, this thing was very large and three-dimensional. It looked like a huge metallic triangle object. It was dark gray in color and appeared to have like a mist around it. Now, I've had other reports also people describing like this misty effect around the, the craft itself. And he said he could clearly see the underside of the object, and he got a really good uh, look at the underside of it. There were a number of lights, including three white circular lights that were evenly spaced straight across the rear underside. He said he noticed two bluish rectangular configurations at the back, which he thought may be like an exhaust system. It made a slight sound, he said, similar to the low growl of a high-performance sports car. Mm. And, um, but he got a really good, detailed look at it, and he drew a very nice sketch, which you got on my website, StanGordon.info. You'll listen to take a look at the sketch the man drew of it. But these things have been going on for years. But in more recent years, what we're hearing about more and more, and a lot of people aren't hearing about, are these big, solid, rectangular, or box-shaped objects as well. Some are being seen at very low level, even in daylight, and they're solid black. But I've been getting those reports for many years as well. But in more recent years, we're getting more reports of these large rectangular objects. Hmm. Rectangular is a new one. It's usually yeah. uh, the triangle or the typical saucer craft for the most part. Um, what were you going to ask him, Lobo? Uh, just for, you know, because I'm greedy. Uh do you have any um, investigations done in the state of Connecticut? I deal mainly in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, I'm a, I, I've been dealing with it because we're just overloaded. I've always focused on my own state because we're constantly getting recurrent reports, you know, across the state, and old reports coming in. So I focus on Pennsylvania, even though I'm in touch with researchers throughout the country, and, and I do get calls on occasion from other states, but... Um, no, I, I deal mainly in Pennsylvania reports. Okay, so question number two. Uh, what is your response to the hardline skeptic that well, my, is... No, the whole point is, you know, I myself have never personally had an encounter myself. So, you know, my position is, you know, it's not. I'm not out there to try to prove it. I can just show the evidence of what we uncovered. I've never personally seen one, but I can tell you, Many of my best witnesses are people who were skeptics until they had their own personal encounter. And for many people, it was a life-changing event. And many people will never believe it until they had that own first-hand experience. And, again, so many people I've known over the years were people who were like that. They were very, very skeptical. You some of them used to laugh at people. I, I can give you a great example of one of the stories if you want to hear it. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> This goes back, actually, to one of the earliest cases I investigated back in the late 60s. It was two brothers, or both unfortunately now passed away. There was a younger brother and the older brother. The older brother did not believe in UFOs, and in fact, 
these two brothers would get so upset about the subject, they would get in fistfights over UFOs. So what happened was the older brother went into the Navy. He got a very high security clearance. He worked on one of our most advanced aircraft carriers at the time, had uh, high security to work on our most advanced aircraft at the time. So he knew everything we had. <clears throat> February 68, he gets married. His wife and him move into Westmoreland County. They rent a little farmhouse in Westmoreland County. February 68, one afternoon, um, the guy happens to look out the window because it's supposed to start snowing. He looks out, and there's this long metallic rod right outside of his window going back to this very large, solid uh, battleship gray, large, solid craft, like a big dome hovering about 50 feet away, about 50 feet off the ground. This is one huge object. It has portholes in it. It has what looks like a catwalk on it. And he calls his wife, and she comes out and looks. And a small little humanoid creature comes out on the catwalk, maybe four feet tall. And then another one joins in, like they're communicating with each other. Well, he and his wife walk out the door and are looking right at this thing. And at one point, this little one of these little humanoids looks directly at him, and she starts crying and getting pretty upset, so they run back in the house and start the snow pretty good, and they called his brother, who lived in Greensburg, and told him what was going on, and he and his wife came out, starting the snow pretty hard, and when they get there, it's still there, but it's about 100 feet off the ground, and they get in the car, and they're moving down the road underneath and watching this thing, and it's getting pretty slippery out, and all of a sudden, this thing momentarily shoots across the sky, up into the sky, looks like a big red star, and gone in seconds. Well, his brother became a believer. And he is one of those kind of guys you would never have been able to convince unless he had his own experience. And, um, you know, I talked to him many times over the years, and it was quite an event for him. And when they called the local airport, the guy there at the tower said, you're one of many people calling in reporting seeing something similar. Wow. I've often... And it didn't resemble anything like he, you know, I mean, the guy was in the military, and it didn't resemble anything he was accustomed to, I'm taking oh, it. Oh, definitely not. I mean, this was a huge metallic, um, like kind of an off-gold uh, battleship gray color, great big, huge object, solid, portholes in it, bottom was hollow, unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, back in those days... You were talking earlier about um, how we progressed into the reports of these small humanoid creatures and what's called the greys. But long before that, the scenario was different. Um, and here in Pennsylvania, I remember some reports. There were some reports of landings on the ground by different people in the state, and the scenario was different. Um, the occupants of the craft looked very, very human-like. Uh, even dressed very somewhat human-like. Um, and they would talk to some of the local people and tell them they were having trouble with their craft. It was a, a technical malfunction that they were repairing. In some cases, they reportedly took some of the local people and gave them a walk through the craft and showed it to them. That's what was going on back in the late 60s before you began to hear the stories of the Greys. But, but here's one that you'll find interesting. This was some of my team members. This was a uh, distance away from where I was, but I did at one point interview the one witness uh, personally. And this is from memory, but late 60s, uh, north of Pittsburgh. From what I recall, this fella 
was uh, they lived in a rural area, and this guy would have the feeling of early morning hours to, to leave his house and run out into the middle of the woods. And he was telling, reportedly, he was telling uh, some close to him, he was taken aboard this craft and various type of biological tests were being done on him. <clears throat> I can't I can't confirm this. I don't remember for sure, but it seems to me as though somebody followed him out to the scene that night and actually saw him go aboard the craft. But what I remember him saying, and this was long before you heard about the Greys, but when he interviewed him and he said, what do these things look like? And he said, they look like Pillsbury Doughboys. That always <laughs> stuck with me because I thought that was such an interesting type of description. Wow. Well, <laughs> we've had you on here for a while. The one last question that I'm going to ask you, and then after that we'll give you a chance to promote anything that you have to promote. Of all the years that you've been doing this, I, this is the question that I have to ask everybody that's really into studying this stuff and cataloging it and archiving it and so forth. What is the case that sticks out to you the most that seems to have the biggest impact on your memory of the strangest things that you've investigated? Well, that was definitely the case that we talked about a little bit from October 25th, 73, where the UFO was on the ground with the two Bigfoot in the field at the same time and the very odd happenings that happened after that event when our team was up there with a witness. And that's, that I've written the whole thing up in my Silent Invasion book. It's, it's probably one of the strangest cases anybody has ever heard about before. It was the case that at least myself and some other team members realized at that point that this was a much more involved much stranger phenomena than any of us had ever even thought of before. And uh, I'd say that was probably the one of the thousands of cases that really sticks out in my mind. Do you have, since you've looked at all these things and you've seen all this stuff over the year, over the years, and you're still getting phone calls on this stuff all the time and you're still doing investigations, have you formulated any kind of, of rough belief or rough theory as to what you think this stuff may be? Do you have an opinion well, on, you know, do you think this is interdimensional? Do you think this is something that's just messing with our consciousness? Do you think that these are physical beings that are actually doing this? Um, are you a nuts and bolts UFO guy? You know, I could ask you like 10 questions along these lines. <laughs> and, and you know what? I don't think anybody for sure has the answers. In fact, I'm pretty much convinced the government's in the same position, that they know this is an ongoing phenomena, that they're studying it still at a high level, that it's a worldwide phenomena, but they are not in control of what's happening, and they're still trying to figure it out themselves. I don't think they have all the answers themselves. Um, my opinion has been for many, many years that there's more than one explanation for the unknown category of UFOs. You know, I've said for a long time, maybe some of these might be extraterrestrial. More and more, I'm leaning towards the fact that, for a lack of a better term, we're dealing with something that's interdimensional, that... These things, whatever they are, whether it be certain types of UFOs and the Bigfoot, some of these cryptids, um, they come and go into our physical reality. They can leave evidence at times, and then they're gone. Uh, just like with some of the UFO sightings, these things, and even in some cases people have never heard of, some of these cryptids have allegedly changed one form into another. Or from a ball of light into a creature. There's so many weird reports out there. Uh, but with UFOs, some of these things physically change even in daylight at close range from one form into another. We had a case like that just a few months ago uh, in western Pennsylvania. Um, 
I, I've said years and years ago, the phenomenon is so strange it protects itself because who's going to believe it? But I'm not sure anybody has the answers, but there's things out there that are occurring which we don't have an explanation for. Right now, it, it may be beyond our present scientific understanding. Hmm. Well, this is, the cha- this is the part of the show where I give you the opportunity to promote anything that you want to promote, your website, your books, any appearances that you're going to be doing, or anything along those lines. So go ahead. Where do you want to start? Because I know you got a lot. Well, my website is stangordon.info, I-N-F-O. They can always check that for upcoming events we'll be uh, speaking at this year. And there's many, many events scheduled throughout the year already, and I'll keep updating my uh, my different appearances. I'll be at the Monroeville Home Show this coming weekend in Monroeville, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and giving a free lecture on Saturday afternoon at 1230 uh, at the uh, – at Monroe at the Monroeville Home Show, the information is on my website, and there's many events scheduled all year. Um, those interested in my books, my my first book was really mysterious Pennsylvania, that dealt with a lot of cases where people were physically very close to various cryptids and Bigfoot and UFOs. Um, most popular book is Silent Invasion, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot Casebook, which gets into those really strange cases of 73 and 74 of Bigfoot and UFOs, and there's some amazing cases in there. And my more recent book, Astonishing Encounters, Pennsylvania's Unknown Creatures, which gets into all kind of cryptid sightings, some very, very weird reports, which we didn't even have a chance to get into today. And many of those cases suggest we're dealing with something other than a normal flesh and blood animal. So those books are available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. You can get autographed copies from my website at StanGordon.info. Uh, people can contact me at paufo at comcast.net, and there's other contact information on my website as well. Stan, it's been a lot of fun talking to you and hearing this stuff. You're somebody that I've been wanting to talk to for years. Uh, fortunately, I ran into you last year at the Mothman Festival in that cramped little tent there. Um, I, I highly doubt that you'd remember who I was. I just kind of walked up, and there you were. And I was like, hey, you're Stan Gordon. And you're like, yes, I am. And I you gave me your card, and I was like, I would love to talk to you sometime on my show. Could you please do an interview? And you were like, yeah, you were very accommodating then, and you were very cool about coming on this time. Um, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Feel free to contact us anytime you have a new book or anything coming out, or anytime you get a large variety of strange and unusual cases that you want to put out there, absolutely bug us immediately if you have the time. We'd love to talk to you again. Sure. Well, feel free to call me anytime. There's always new cases coming in. Always old reports coming in, too, so there's always new information to discuss. Thank one, you, Stan. One last thing. Um, all of the – I wanted to ask you this. No, it just popped in my head. I wanted to ask you this earlier. We very frequently play all of the old calls from the um, UFO Reporting Center that have been released like from way, way back. Are there any plans of taking any of these calls that you've gotten from a long time ago where probably the, the witnesses have moved on or whatever or editing the names out actually releasing any of this stuff, or is this – this stuff that you've got archived and put off to the side somewhere in, in, in one of your files or whatever? Because I imagine you're a guy that's got like a room just full of files like Fox Mulder. Well, you know, my whole my whole uh, the process of over the years talking to witnesses is that most people want no publicity. Yeah. And so that's the reason why I re- generally don't use names in most cases because people don't want any. So many of the file reports are confidential, and uh, that's why I don't do that. But I try to get at least some of the basic reports out. All right. Thanks again, Stan. Uh, We've enjoyed talking with you, and hopefully we'll hear from you again. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. You too. Thanks, Stan.
man, I've been wanting to talk to that guy for the longest time. <laughs> yeah. I really was a total geek when I met him when I ran into him at Mothman. It just it was just it was like that whole that whole weekend of Mothman I kept running into people. I was just saying it with Nick Redfern. I was just You're Stan Gordon. I know who you are. I've listened to your interviews for years. <laughs> I'm like, Wow, hi. <laughs> that was really cool. I'll I'll say the first thing right off of the bat, the one thing that I really, really liked is that even when I tried to press him to say, what do you think this is? You know, he, he's very limited. He All he would say is, I don't think this is something normal or this is something outside of the realm of whatever. You know, and that's, you know, a true 40. And like, you've got people that go, this is absolutely extraterrestrials and this is this and this is that. And these are nuts and bolts crafts and stuff like that. He's real hard to pin down on exactly what this stuff is, well, which uh, I respect. I like that. Yeah. Um, the problem was, is that, we kept coming up with questions to ask him more and more stuff. I probably could have talked to the guy for another 45 minutes with, with questions that were just flooding into my head. Sure. And, uh, you were fairly active props to you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but I, that was a lot of fun. I don't think I'm going to do any editing to that. I'm, if I do, it's going to be a very minimal amount of editing. So I'll probably have this show up really quick into the feed. Um, he's got a lot of books out there. He was, he was very approachable, very accommodating as far as coming on to the show. I didn't really have any problems getting him booked or anything like that. Uh, it was just a matter of scheduling. And I'm really glad we talked to him. And yeah, me too. We had him on for a good amount of time. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was good. It was a good show. The only thing I was bummed about is he he didn't go into as much of the really strange as I wanted him to. He eh. kept saying, well, we can cover that. But that's fine because that's just more material to bring him back with later on. Um Man, Pennsylvania's got a lot of weird stuff going on. Sure does. Sure <laughs> does. He um got to start on this stuff when you were ten years old. Um Yeah, I know, right? That's probably an developed interest, but I know when he actually started investigating it was with the Kecksburg thing. And we talked to him off the air. The original plan was to interview him about the whole Kecksburg UFO case. But he's done that interview so many times. It's it's like you go into YouTube and you type Kexberg and or you, you type his name in Kexberg and it's just and he even set himself off the air. He's like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about that anymore. And I'm like, okay, you know, cool. We'll, we'll push we'll push this into a different direction. We got plenty of information. <laughs> yeah, I know it's gonna happen after I, I put this out there. A while I'm editing and I'm putting it going. I'm like, why didn't I ask him this or why didn't I ask him that? The one thing I was gonna bring up was he was talking about the whole skeptic situation where, and I've said it many times where. People will, uh, I have known of skeptics that have had experiences and it's changed their whole, it's, it's changed their whole paradigm. You know, I've, I've I've ran the situation with, there's a couple of things happen with skeptics. A skeptic will have an experience and they'll be so grounded in their anti-belief belief that they'll just go, yeah, something weird happened and they'll blow it off. Or they'll have something happen to them, which they absolutely cannot deny that something happened to them. And it's kind of like. It's kind of take, like taking somebody who's a hardcore Christian and proving them without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt, without any way to get out of it, that God doesn't exist. And it's like this weird crack, cracking kind of thing that kind of messes with them. So when people say, well, I want to have a paranormal experience, and it's like we said to Liz when she was on here, it's like, you sure you want to do that? <laughs> yeah, well, You sure yeah. you want to mm-hmm. deal with this kind of stuff? Because it gets far weirder than, than people actually think. So... Anyways, be careful. Uh, next week, I don't know if we're doing a show or not. Um, yeah, you said that. 
we were supposed to have the Tesla Museum on, which yep. we've been bartering back and forth with trying to get these guys on the show. These are the people that did the Kickstarter to buy Nikolai Tesla's museum. Was it in New Jersey or New York? I think it was New York. Jersey. Jersey, okay. That was the one with the giant, huge antenna in the back of it that was supposed to be used for transmitting electricity through the air. And uh, I've really been interested in what they were doing for the longest time. And then we went back and forth trying to set up a date. And then she bowed out on us. And I was like, nope, well. sorry. It's in New York, not Jersey. Okay. I knew it was one of those two. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, you know, we, we'd love to have you on the show. And she's like, well, what do you want to ask? And blah, blah. And I sent her a list of questions. These are the kind of things we're going to ask. And then she sent me an email last week saying I'm not going to be able to come on the show because I'm going to be out of town. So I was like, well, can we reschedule it for March? Because we really would love to talk to you about this. We're really big Nikolai Tesla fans. And they haven't gotten back with me yet. So that created an opening for next week. And I'm fine for either A, taking the weekend off, or hopefully the guys, Patrick and Dennis from the Almost Educational Podcast, are going to come on. And we're going to take a break from talking about all this paranormal stuff. And the plan was supposedly, and if they can't make it, I'm not real worried about it because I know they will come on at some point or another. The plan is to talk about, I think, if superheroes like Batman and vigilantes like that were real, which there are superhero, quote-unquote, vigilantes out there. They just don't get a lot of press coverage because they're looked at as weird. Um, what they're the... breaking the law. They're breaking the <laughs> no, law. No, we'll, we'll cover that in the show if we do it. Because we've, we've tapped on it before where there's actually people that are out there that are quote-unquote superheroes that are wearing costumes and going out and trying to fight crime and perform citizens' arrests or they just show up and call the police. I don't know. <laughs> Here I am. Phone man. <laughs> you there. Stop or I'll tell you to stop again. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Um, so we were going to talk about if... If Batman was real, what would the legal ramifications of something like this be? Uh, could a person like Batman actually exist in today's age of, of being able to track everybody and everything? Um, they wanted to take a step further and say, could a person actually become a Batman? Are we capable of creating a super soldier like, like uh, Captain America along those lines? They're going to get back with me and let me know if they can make it on next week. And if they do, then we'll have a show. If they can't make it, then we're taking the weekend off because we've been going pretty solid here. Yeah. So uh, that's how things are looking right now. (laughs) And that's pretty much it for the most part. I can't think of too much else to say right now because I'm a little spent for the most part. Um, Other than the fact that I just took the world's biggest leak, which nobody really (laughs) wanted to hear about. What did I say? I just... I just took a leak. You, you took a leak that was so big that you could put the fires out in Citronella. Yes. In the coal mines in Citronella. I'm like, yes. Citronella? You mean Centralia? Yeah, that's what it was. Centralia. I lost, yeah. I lost my head. You know, Citronella is a candle, right? Yes, I could put that out too. <laughs> well, oh, no, we're doing the interview, and um, <laughs> I have this big, giant glass of Coke here because I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. I'm like, I need caffeine to stay awake to do this interview. As now I am going through the caffeine fits because the caffeine is now coursing through me. But I drank this big glass of, of Coca-Cola, Diet Coke. Um, That's we're at bad the end for of the, you. Well, it's, it's Coke Zero. But we're at the end Still of the interview. And I'm doing the potty dance in my chair. I'm squirming <laughs> back and forth and rolling around. And I'm like, I want to ask him this, but I, I can't because it's the end of the interview. And I really got to go to the bathroom really bad. If I had known, you had to. I was gonna. I should have started asking about USOs. I just would have hit the mute button and said, I'll be right back. But I know we, I knew we were getting to the end of the interview. And I'm like, I got to go pee. I got to go pee. I got to go pee. And I can't nice. do that right now. And blah, blah, blah. So we ended the phone call. And I'm like, I got to run. Zapping off. I went. 
more information than anybody out there listening right now really wants to know. And we wonder why we can't get certain interviews. It's not because yeah, we occasionally right. talk about weird stuff. It's because we talk about my urinary habits. <laughs> the lack thereof. Wow. I'm just going to start doing cool. interviews with the pens on. And you know who's going to send oh, me something no, on that? Come on, man. This is where Tyler is already on Twitter right now tweeting me. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's a new low. So... Anyways, that's it. Uh, maybe a show next week. Maybe not. Definitely one the week after. Um, sure. And that's it for the most part. This is Rojan. Peace out from the 60-degree beautiful weather up in Detroit, which I was not able to pull my motorcycle out and ride it because I had to work today. Five here. 65? Five degrees. 55. 55. It, you, yeah. you should be warming up. You, we usually get the weather that it hits out to you. So. Yeah, we're not. The, 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 the forecast isn't calling for anything more than like 50 degrees, though. Yeah, we weren't supposed to get higher than 50, and we hit 60 today. Yeah, it was, cool. It was awesome. And everybody's out riding their motorcycles, and I'm like, i got to be here at work First right now. First world problems. problems. First world problems is deciding which one of my motorcycles that oh, I want to drive. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. So this is Lobo from Connecticut. Uh, Lava Girl, Scrub-a-Dub-Dub. Scrub-a-Dub-Dub. I don't uh, know. I don't know. This is one of those weird things. <laughs> You're like... Uh, what was the guy that used to host America's Funniest Home Videos? The the filthy comedian who wasn't filthy when he was on the show? Oh, uh, God. Bob Saget. Bob Saget! Yeah. See, was... now, I see myself as the guy at the end of the robot chicken thing. <laughs> Define that? The one that the guy... Because we never say... After after we say both we both say goodbye, we always got to carry the show on a little bit more. So now you got to... It doesn't work. Go ahead. Explain the robot a... chicken guy. There, there's a section. There, every once in a while, there'll be a skit on. Yeah, exactly. There'll be a, a skit on Robot Chicken, and it's usually like um, uh, bad, bad things that are happening. And they'll have the guy who literally the character who killed himself from Family Feud, the guy that hung himself. But he's this. He's this, the talk show host. And at the end of each skit, he'll be laying in a tub and he'll be like, "And we'll see you next time." And he'll like drop a toaster in there and just kill himself and then the next time it'll be we'll see you next time and it'll show him like jumping off of a uh a, a stool and he just hanging there it's just it's, it's great so wrong it's, i love it it's so wrong well it is it's me also if anybody's interested i did do an episode of uh, ozone nightmare last week talking about westworld and various star wars and other related things so stuff and things stuff and things uh that's it i'm done peace folks i'm out <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>